All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to City Light. Glad you guys are here with us. If you're new, we'd love to help you get connected. So please check us out in the lobby, fill out a connect card, come up and pray uh, with one of us afterwards. We'd love to help you in your faith walk and your journey wherever you are with that. Um, uh, we're going to be in Habakkuk 2 today. So you want to go ahead and open your Bible, your scripture journal. Now, if you don't have a scripture journal, we'd love to give you one. And so please ask for one uh, after this service, and we'd love to gift that to you. Uh, we're going to be in Habakkuk 2. And before we jump into that, hey, uh, I'm wearing some. We have some swag available in the lobby, all right? Uh, we call it Merch for Missions, all right? So uh, all the proceeds of our new swag goes to serve Young Lives, which is a uh, teen mom ministry that we partner with already. They're doing some amazing work in this community to be a part of the restoration and the redemption of their stories, uh, and God is doing some amazing things. So grab some swag. Also, a side benefit of swag is people hearing about City Light coming to church and receiving the gospel, right? So we have some real stories of people uh, asking what's on the shirt, coming to church, uh, and hearing the gospel. And so go grab your swag, wear it out, and help support the ministry of Young Lives. We'd love for you to participate in that with us. And so we're going to be in Habakkuk 2 uh, this morning. Before we do that, um, I have uh, some sad news I need to inform most of you on is one of our young ladies in our congregation who's been a part of City Light for the last year or so. Uh, her name's Christina Cangaleras. She suddenly and tragically passed away yesterday morning. Uh, she has, um, she's Lindsay Skullrud's roommate. Uh, she's been in John and Leah Rebelo's lighthouse uh, and she's been doing deliveries with us and uh, actively involved. And so, obviously, um, a tough day uh, for her loved ones and for those of us who care about them and about her life. And I just want to, first of all, ask you to pray. Uh, this is what the church is for. I mean, what else, you know, in these times to really gather together and to support, uh, pray for her loved ones, pray for her family, uh, ask the Lord to truly care for them in this time of need. Um, really go to bat for them. Uh, pray for Lindsay, one of our, our very own, uh, who's obviously having a hard time uh, navigating this. And so just ask the Lord to reveal himself and to comfort the family uh, and just to be present uh, in this time and to reveal the hope of Jesus uh, through this situation. And so we're going to do anything we can to serve the family. So if there's anything we find out as a way we can serve, uh, we'll certainly let you guys know if you would like to be a part of that. And so as the information comes in, we will uh, do our very best to be a part of what God is doing in that story. And so I want you guys to know, and I want you to be praying. So please don't hear that and just finish right now. We really need to go pray and to spend some time doing that. So I'm going to pray right now. Uh, I would ask that you pray with me. Don't just listen to me pray, and then let's remember this family um, in the coming days. So uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, man, we come before you with heavy hearts, Lord. Um, it's always sad when death it just sucks. It's terrible, Lord, but it's especially sad when it's so surprising, so sudden. Uh, Lord, we just pray, um, God, you say in your word that you are near to the brokenhearted, the crushed in spirit. That's what you've promised. And so, Lord, that's all we got is your promises. And so I pray that you would make that true, that you would be so near, uh, Lord, that your presence would be comforting. I uh, pray, God, that if there's anybody in her family or in this story uh, that's far from you, that you would use this situation to draw them close to you, and that you would save, and that you would do wonders, and that you would use her story to testify to the glory of Jesus. And so we just pray um, in the days to come that you would provide a ton of wisdom as they make plans, and that you would provide a ton of comfort, and that you would allow us as a church, God, to do everything we can um, to bless the family and to be a part of what you're doing, God. So. 
Uh, Christ is all in life and death, God, and I just pray that you would help us to be a people who live more aware of our own mortality, Lord, that we would take these things seriously for our own lives. And so, Lord, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I do have a, a sermon we prepared today, obviously, and uh, part of what I was thinking about in light of what happened yesterday, in light of just the reality of that is it's a reminder to all of us that each one of us lives on the edge of eternity. Like no matter how healthy you feel, no matter how young or whatever, like we each live on the edge of eternity. And James 4 is very true where it says your life is but a vapor. And you ought not worry about tomorrow because you don't even know if you're going to be there. And we hear that and we're like, yeah, sure, I know. But no, like for real, for real. For each one of us to consider the weight of that, there's just, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, and sometimes the Lord just wants that to press down, to say, like, each man and each woman will stand before the living God, probably sooner than you think, and you'll have to give an account for your life, and we should, we should in light of that, take each day, each moment, everything seriously before the Lord should take your life very seriously before the Lord. And especially maybe those of you here in the room who are maybe young and you think, man, I'll, I'll decide to follow the Lord later or I'll put that off. I want to live my life now. I just want to warn you that you might not have a later. Now is the time. The Bible says in Hebrews 3, today is the day of salvation. And so take that decision seriously. Take your relationship with God seriously. The Bible teaches us that the reason death has come into the world is because of our sin. It started with Adam and Eve, and then we just perpetuated each one of us. We stand before God, and we disobey and offend him. We exalt ourselves. We want to be the Lord over our own lives. We mistreat one another. And because of these things, the Bible calls it sin. And because of sin, a perfect creation that God has made where there was to be no death, sin entered the world and death followed. And that's the experience that we now have. And that's a great problem for us. And the Bible teaches us that the only solution to our sin is Jesus. The only solution to the horror of death is the hope of what Jesus has done. The Bible teaches us that because of our sin, there's a debt we cannot pay to God. We cannot resolve the situation on our own. We are all mortal beings, and we will surely die, and that's nothing that we can fix. But there is a first death, and there is a second death, and the second death far worse than the first if you do not believe and trust in Jesus. This is it today. This is the gospel. This is the good news that though we are sinners apart from God who will die and deserve spiritual death apart from God forever in a place called hell, God, this is John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Would not perish, not perish, but have eternal life. This is the good news of the gospel, and it's only really good news if you're truly confronted with the fact that your sin has made a lot of trouble with God and that you are mortal and will soon face him. And when you put those things together, the weight comes down, and then when you believe the gospel, the weight comes up, and it says, oh, thank you, Lord. And so I want to remind each one of us, you live on the edge of eternity to take your life, your relationship with God, the way you live your life, and according to God's way, very seriously, and to also remind us of what we're here to do. This is so important. I just kept thinking about the fact that, like, you know, there's everything that's happening this week. Obviously, it's a big deal. Everybody's getting all crazy. And it's like, 
it's a good reminder to come back and to say, you know what, that's obviously important, but it's not nearly as important as the fact that there's people in this community today that are going to die apart from Christ. Today. Like today, this very day, and within walking distance, surely somebody apart from Christ will die. And that's happening all over the world in every community. And for us to say, wow, okay, like I have one life to live. The most important thing in the world is to know Christ and to make him known. Is to live with that mission in mind. Like this is my focus and I deal with everything else on the peripherals or I deal with everything else with the intent by which I can know Christ and make him known. To say the most important thing in the world is man and woman's relationship before God. And apart from God, people die and go to hell because of their sin. And the only answer is Jesus. No other religion, no other prophet, no other way. There's only one way by which man must be saved. Only one name is Jesus. And for us to give our whole life, our whole attention, our whole energy, to that and to prioritize the right things and let everything else have its place under that peripheral to that to say we live for that I live for that and to feel burdened for that and to say this is the only thing that matters so for us to take that very seriously both with our own lives and to reflect on your own standing before the Lord and whether you truly feel confident that Jesus has truly saved you because you've trusted in him and if you were to stand before the Lord this very day, you would have assurance of entrance into heaven because of Christ. And then also to stand before the Lord today and to give an account of how you're living your life, how you're spending your money, how you're putting, where you're putting your energy, what kind of conversations are you getting into, are you bringing salt and light to the world around you? To say, like, that's all that matters. That's for real. That's it. Like, let's just, we, like, God gives us eyes to see sometimes, like, okay, 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 I'm caught up in things that don't matter nearly as much as that great thing that matters the most. And to put everything in its proper place. So let's be a people who do that, who are burdened for souls, who live seriously before the Lord, and who spend our life and our energy trying to reconcile as many people as we can by the Spirit of God to, to new life in Jesus Christ. And let's give ourselves to that and prioritize that. So, in light of those things, um, the sermon today is called The Trick of Trust. So I want you to look at Habakkuk 2. The Lord knows because to, today's talk, today's sermon, today's time in God's Word is about trust, which this particular situation makes us think more deeply about and more seriously about. So Habakkuk 2, 18 through 20. Uh, before I read that, just a reminder, right? Habakkuk, we're talking about this is as a conversation with God. And so if you've missed the last few sermons, you got to catch up because it all like makes sense. So today will make sense at some level, but if you catch the whole thing, it'll make a lot of sense. Uh, Habakkuk's having a conversation with God in the midst of a personal and national crisis. So he's struggling, he's looking around him, he's like, this is not good. Why aren't you doing something? So he asked God a question we ask him all the time to say, why aren't you doing something about all the, the evil I see around me? God gives him an answer. Habakkuk doesn't like the answer, so he goes back to God. And then God begins to explain why the answer is the answer and why it's working out this way. Habakkuk begins to understand God's purposes and God's ways. And in the same way that we would have very similar questions for God, especially in a time of personal and national crisis, that we get to go to the word of God and hear particularly how God answers those kinds of questions and learn for ourselves what God thinks and how he would probably answer that question today in our own lives with our own situations 
with our own walks with the Lord. And so this book has been incredibly helpful. So God tells Habakkuk, I'm gonna bring judgment on God's people on, on Jerusalem because of their sin against me. I'm gonna raise up the Babylonians to come do that. Habakkuk's like, that's not cool, do it another way. And he's like, no, I'm doing that. And Habakkuk's like, why? And so then God tells Habakkuk, hey, I'm gonna do it this way. And eventually I'm gonna restore Jerusalem back. And I'm gonna let you know ahead of time that when Babylon takes you over, that's not the end. I promise to bring judgment on them. So last week we talked about who's really in charge, and the idea was they're not in charge, and they're not in charge, God's the one in charge. And so God's, in chapter two, he's making a prophecy to Habakkuk to say, after they wipe y'all out, I'm going to bring judgment upon them, and I'm going to wipe them out. And so that's what he's promising to Habakkuk. And when I wipe them out, eventually I will restore you back as a people of God. And so that's what's happening here. And so God has made five different promises, basically, to wipe them out. We did the four last week. We're doing the one today, and the one today is very relevant for our own lives as we consider what does it mean to truly trust in the Lord. So let's read 18 through 20 together. It says, what prophet is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation. When he makes speechless idols, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. Who says to a silent stone, arise, can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, and let all the earth keep silent before him. And I thought, wow, that is a great post-election verse. <laughs> Put that thing under your feet. And watch all your news with this in mind. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silent before him. And so we're going to hear from the word today with that in mind. So the first question for us is, where is your trust? This is a trust issue. This text is unfolding a trust issue. The most important question you and I can ask is, what am I trusting in? You have two options to put your trust, two places. Everybody in the planet has two places to put their trust. They can put their trust in the world and anything in the world, good things and bad things. Or they can put their trust in the Lord. That's it. You only have two buckets, two choices, two places to put your trust. And what we're going to see from here is what happens when you put your trust in the world, what happens when you put your trust in God. And the Bible's word for putting your trust in the world more than God is idolatry. That's what it means. So instead of just thinking this old word, idolatry, think, no, simply I'm putting my trust in something other than God, and the Bible calls that an idol. And so as we think about fixing our trust and understanding what should we do with our trust, the issue that many of us face is that we have been tricked by our trust. And so we've trusted in something, and it could not deliver that which it promised, or it could not deliver the expectations we put on it that it never promised in the first place. But we put our trust there. It didn't make good on that. And now we're disappointed and frustrated. We've been tricked by the thing we trust. And so often our experiences and disappointments in life are a result of simply trusting in the wrong thing and then being tricked by what I trust and then missing out on the place where I could really get true life with Jesus where I put my trust. So many of us have been tricked by what we trust and that has caused a ton of disappointment and frustration. What I want to help you do today is simply stop being tricked by what you trust. And there's two simple ways to do that. The first is to tear down our idols, and the second is to put your trust in the Lord. So let's do the first thing, tear down idols. Verse 18, it says, what prophet is an idol? And then he goes on to say, man, you make it, and then you bow down before a wooden thing, you ask it questions. This is bizarre. And so many of you may be thinking, man, 
oh, of course that's stupid. I don't bow down before, I don't like make a piece of wood. I don't bow down to the speaker, you know, like I don't do that kind of stuff. That's old, that's silly. You know, we don't do that anymore. But I want you to understand it's not necessarily about the object, it's about the heart. So we commit idolatry every day with our heart. Let me let Tim Keller explain this to you really good from a book, Counterfeit Gods. He says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. A counterfeit God, an idol. Anything you value more than God. And what idolatry does that we experience so often is now we ask wisdom from something that can give no guidance. We ask hope from something that can give no comfort. We ask from reassurance from something that can make no promises to us. We ask for answers from something that can't speak. And then we're doing that back and forth, and our life is getting more and more frustrated. And then we have difficulty navigating maybe a political outcome, difficulty navigating a family dynamic, difficulty navigating interpersonal relationship issues, difficulty navigating my time at work, difficulty overturning or navigating a bad habit. We have difficulty with those situations. Why? Because we're asking them to deliver more than they can give. We're putting too much weight on them. We do this all the time. Maybe if you're married, you do this with your spouse, and your spouse may be a wonderful person, but you've asked them to supply something to you that only God can give to really touch your heart in the deepest of places, to really give you what you need in the deepest of your heart. You've given that over to your spouse. Your spouse is unable, no matter how wonderful they may be. They get crushed under the weight. You get frustrated because they let you down, but they were never able to deliver what you asked for in the first place. And we do this with work. We do this with jobs. We do this with our identity. We do this with our titles. We do this all the time. We ask. We do this with politics. We ask things and people to give us something only God can give and it crushes them, and it crushes us. And so we need to learn, what does it look like to tear down those idols in our life? This is important because number one, your idolatry offends a holy God because it's called sin, and this is something we should run away from to live to please God. But also, your own idolatry is destroying your life. And so to fix that and to begin to turn away from loving idols to loving the Lord is not only gonna glorify God and it's the right thing, it's also going to be good for your life. Both those things will happen at the same time, so you should be very motivated to understand what is being said here. So how do I actually start to tear down idols in my life so that I can trust in God more? I'll give you two simple things. The first is to start checking, start checking. Look in verse 19, it says, behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it. What is it saying? Like, hey, this looks good, this looks expensive, this looks shiny, this looks like it has a ton of value, this looks like it could do a lot for me, it looks really good, but if you checked the inside, there's no breath or life there. It's fake money, it's fake gold, it's fake silver. It doesn't actually provide what you think it provides, so you got to start checking you got to start checking. You need to ask the question of yourself, is this what I think it is? Ask the question of everything in your life, of everything you trust in, believe in, hope for, put your money towards. Is this what I think it is, and can it truly deliver that which I'm asking from it? Can it really do that? You need to start checking. So many of us are trusting, but we're not checking. You're trusting, but you're not checking. You're trusting, but you're not checking. It looks like gold and silver, but it's fake money. And when you need to spend it, you got nothing. 
The word the Bible uses here for idolatry in the Hebrew means worthless. Worthless. Completely and totally and utterly worthless. The other day, we got out some bags of chips for my kids, all right? So we shop at Aldi because it's super cheap and amazing. And Taylor Antone looks down on me for that because he's got bougie paste in, in, uh, in grocery stores. And so we go there, and I, I get the stuff. So we get this bag of chips, right? So I have, like, a ton of kids, okay? It's wonderful. Um, but kids don't really care about food. They care about snacks, all right? Anybody with kids knows, say amen. Nobody cares about food. They care about snacks. Snack time is the jam. They don't care about dinner time, lunch time, breakfast time. That don't matter. It's snack time, okay? So uh, you fill your house with snacks, all right? Just take care of your little children. So we have these snacks, you know, and, you know, we like healthy snacks. We had chips, too. Okay, kids love chips. So we have chips. We have these chips. And uh, I, I open the bag and I'm, I'm trying to give out some snacks, and I pull out one of the bags. It's a sour cream and onion bag of chips, all right? Just a little thing like that. And I pull it out, and it feels totally light. And I'm looking at it, and I begin to hit it like that. And I'm like, this thing is empty. I'm like, it must be open somewhere. So I'm looking at it, and I couldn't find anything. And it really looked like it was completely sealed. And the more I checked, the more I was like, yeah, no, this bag is sealed. It is sealed, but it's empty. It would look like it is full of chips, but when I open it, which my kids were happy to do, they just popped it, pop, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, this is fun. So they popped it, we looked, it was affirmed, there was nothing in it. It looked full, and it looked like it should have something in it, but when I checked, it couldn't deliver on what, what it promised. So it is with our life and so many things that we trust in. It may look good on the outside. It may look like it has what we need on the inside, but when we start checking or when we ask for what we need from it, it cannot deliver. So I get hungry at snack time and I get excited and I go open the bag of chips, but there's no snack there. I get disappointed and frustrated and so it is all the time. Come on with me and you. We sit down for snack time with the things that we think will make us feel better, the things that help us in our time of struggle and need. We sit down, we try to open it up. It doesn't have what we need. We get, we get frustrated. And you know what we do when we get frustrated? We look at God and we be like, how could you do that? And God's like, I'm over here. I'm not, you're looking at the wrong place. Don't blame me. You should have been looking over here. And so many of us simply need to start checking. Ask the question, is it what I think it is? So many of you in the military probably know this type of quote. You get what you inspect, not what you expect. Thank you. You get what you inspect, not what you expect. And so many of us have put our expectations on something that we never looked into, and now it can't deliver on what we hoped it would do, and we're burned out, frustrated, disappointed. And that cycle goes like this. Why? Because I'm just putting my trust in the, in the world. I may change buckets about the world, but it's just the world. It may be my spouse, and then I fix it. No, then it may be my job, and then it may be a political outcome. And then I'm just, I'm just doing this, I'm just doing this, and I'm trying different things, but each one disappoints, and now I'm like throwing my hands up. And that's because there's only one place to really put your trust, which is what we're going to see. So something for you to write down, the action of trust is only good if the object of trust is good. Okay? It's not good just to be trusting. All right? It's not, that's not like a good characteristic in general. It's only good if the object is good. It's not good to trust people that have bad intentions for you. It's not good to trust things that will destroy you. Trust is only good. The act of trust is only a good thing if the object of my trust is good, if it can deliver on what I'm asking from it. So number one, start checking. Number two, stop asking. Stop asking. Look in verse 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, and to a silent stone, arise. Here's the question for you on this one. Where do I keep going to get that which only God can give? You've got to answer this question. If you don't answer this question, this is just a nice little talk that you heard, and hopefully it motivated you to do something. But if you answer the question, you might get somewhere deep with the Lord. 
You might have some stuff to talk to the Lord about tomorrow and the next day. You might have a place that opens up that lets the Lord work. That can't happen in 30 minutes on a Sunday. You need to ask the question, where do I keep going to get that which only God can give? And you need to stop asking that to give it to you. Stop asking. You see the foolishness of this. You have to feel the weight of this, right? He says, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, a silent stone arise. Just remember, just feel like, like, what if I was sitting here and I was like, no, I ain't got it today. Preach, you know. Wake up! You know, I'd be like, do something. Come on, you know. So frustrated. I don't feel like preaching. Preach. You'd be like, our pastor has lost his mind. Can we get another one? Is there another one? Can someone else do this? You'd be like, you're crazy. Or what if I was like, what if I did this? And I was like, y'all, come on, let's worship. Let's worship. I'd be like, oh, my podium, my stand. The great giver of my iPad holder and my Bible. You uphold all things in the universe, namely these two things, you know? And I'm like, come on, stand, come on, wake up, speak to me, give me wisdom, come on, give me guidance, come on, come on, come on. I'm unhappy, give me satisfaction, give me, give me worth, make me feel valued, come on, give me my identity. And I'm like, come on, come on, come on, give it to me, come on, come on, give me some hope. Give me security for my future. Come on, give it to me. Give me some happiness in my heart. Give it to me. Give it to me. And I'm just begging. I'm begging. I'm saying, give it to me. Give it to me. And all of you would look at me and say, you're crazy. That thing is never going to give it to you. And I want to turn back to you and say, so is the thing you're looking at. You got to soak this in and look at how stupid I look. And then take that to our own life and say, this is what I look like when I ask something to give me that only God can give. This is what I look like. It's foolish. It's foolish. It's an offense to God, but it's also destructive for me. It's foolish. Stop asking something to give you that only God can give you. And begin to ask the question in your life, where am I going to get that which only God can give? And if you let the Lord minister to you in that deep place, you're going to find some real healing. Stop asking. Stop asking your job to give you a sense of worth. Stop asking your spouse to make you happy every day. Stop asking your money to give you the things you want to make you feel better. Stop asking that bottle or that addiction to give you exactly what you need when you're struggling. Or sta- Stop asking, stop asking, stop asking. And instead of asking, why don't we start turning? Something for you to write down. You will receive only what the object of your trust is able to give. This is so important. You will receive only what the object of your trust is able to give. Only what the object of your trust is able to give. So if the object of your trust is yourself and your ability to succeed and provide for your family and to make a good life and all, if your trust is in yourself to do the, if your trust is in yourself to get to heaven and to do everything, if your trust is in yourself, then you will only do what you are able to do, and you cannot go higher than that. So the level of peace you can give yourself is the max amount of peace you can get. The level of happiness you can provide for yourself is the max amount of happiness you can get. The level of security you can provide for yourself is the max amount of security that you can get. You can only get what the object of your trust is able to give. 
right? So then if you put your trust in a political outcome, then you only get what they are able to give. If you put your trust in a job situation, you can only get what it is able to give. If you put your trust in anything, you will only receive what the object of your trust is able to give. Think about it this way, right? If I ask my kids, let's say, my kids are eight, five, three, and one, so nobody has a driver's license, right? Lord, but I don't know when, when that day comes. I don't know how y'all, y'all parents deal with that, but uh, I'm like, you can walk, just strong legs. All right, so I, I wonder if I looked at my kids, we're all like, yeah, guys, you know, they love Gatorade. My uh, three-year-old calls it Powergate, because he gets them confused, Powerade and Gatorade. So he's like, give me some Powergate. I'm like, oh, sure, <laughs> sure. So he asked for Powergate, and they're like, what if I was like, hey, guys, I mean, we're out, um, which happened this morning. We're like, we're out. Hey, can you run to 7-Eleven and grab us some Gatorade? Can y'all just go grab, go jump in the van? Hey, here are the keys. You're eight. You got it. Go run to 7-Eleven and grab me some Gatorade. Now, as much as they would love to do that, what do you and I both know? They don't know how to drive a car, and they have no money. So what can my kids give me? Well, they can give me hugs and kisses. They can give me punches to the face. They love that one. That's about the max amount of things they can give me. There's not much that they, they have that I don't have. And if, they, if I ask them a question, I'll only get what they're able to give. So if I ask them to go to 7-Eleven, I won't get any Gatorade. They can't do it. If I ask them for a punch, they can do that. So that's what I'll get. Now, if we flipped it around and they asked me, I can certainly give them hugs, kisses, and punches, right? We're good at that. We do all that together. But also, okay, playful wrestling punches, okay? Regular good dad punches, all right? So just to be clear, that's what I mean, wrestle, wrestle time. All right, so uh, anyways, they asked me, and then they're like, hey, Dad, I need some power gauge. Can, we, can you take us to 7-Eleven? Can you take us to Target? Can you take me to the grocery store? I'd be like, sure. Why? Well, first of all, I have keys, and I know how to drive, you know, decently well at least. I know how to drive. I can get you there. I, can, I know how to put gas in the car. I have a job, so I have a wallet, and the wallet allows me to spend money on things that we need. So if we go to the store, I have a wallet. I can buy Gatorade. I have the capability to do that. If you ask me to get you some Gatorade, I have all the necessary things to get it. If I ask you to get me Gatorade, I get a punch, you know. And you see what I'm saying? You only get that which the object of your trust is able to give. Now look how silly this is for us. Think about this. Think about how limited, like, even like you're one of your best friends, your family, all these wonderful people. Think about how limited they are and their ability to really, like, really help you. You know, there's a, there's a line at which they're able to go. Or think about the other things you trust in, your jobs, you know, political stuff, whatever. You put your trust in and you're asking it to give you something it can only give, and then you get frustrated with the outcome because it's limited in power and love. But you have another option that we forget about. There's the Lord, and the Lord over here is unlimited in power, resources, and matter of fact, he actually loves you more than you love yourself. And as a matter of fact, he actually loves you more than any of these other people love you. And as a matter of fact, a lot of things we trust in don't even love you at all. They don't care about you. And now we're going somewhere to something that doesn't care about me, may care about me a lot, or doesn't even know me, or it's a thing that can't speak to me, and it's limited in power, limited in love, and I'm saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. And the Lord's over here like unlimited power, unlimited love, unconditional love, and we're like, no. You know? You can only get that which the object of your trust is able to give. And the Lord say, man, not only is it an offense to God to commit idolatry and to put your heart somewhere else, it's also foolish and destructive to you. And God's over here saying, man, just come to me. Right? One, of the, one of the main phrases in the Bible is come. 
come to me, come to me. Like, I'm right here. Unlimited power, unlimited resources, unlimited love, unconditional love. You can come to me even as a screw-up. You can come to me even when you make mistakes. As a matter of fact, you can come to me even when I'm disappointed with your behavior. You can still come to me because my love for you is not conditional on your behavior. And then we go somewhere else and like, you have to act like this, be like this, believe like this, and do like this, and then you can come. And we spend so much energy and time like, okay, how can I get those things together? <laughs> and we go there and they're like, don't even like you anyways. And then you go over here and God's like, come as you are. I love you. You see what's happening every day? <laughs> We're like, it's just such a silly decision. I make it, you make it. It's so foolish. And what God wants to do is just reveal the craziness of that to say, man, stop asking something to give you that only God can give. You will receive in life only what the object of your trust is able to give. And the only person with unlimited resources, unlimited power, and unlimited love for you is God. So stop asking everything else and start turning to God. Start turning to God. So that's our next thing, trust in God. This is how we close our time. Look at verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all of the earth keep silent before him. Like I said, a great post-election verse. Let all the earth recognize their right position under his authority. Let all the earth stop clamoring and fighting for power and be silent before the true power in the universe. Let all the earth be quiet and recognize who God is. Let us be still. You know one of our favorite verses we put on coffee mugs is be still and know that I am God, Isaiah 54, I mean, sorry, Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. What many of us don't know is the next part of it, which is still the same verse, says be still and know that I am God, and then he says, I will be exalted in all the nations. So when I'm still and quiet before the Lord, it's not a meditative activity of nothingness, it's a recognition that while I'm still, God is actively in charge. So my stillness isn't nothingness. It's actually placing myself in a proper place to say I'm going to be still before the one who is in charge and I'm going to let all the craziness come to rest in this place. And I'm going to recognize who I am before the Lord. I'm going to recognize how the world bows before the Lord. I'm going to be still. And so many of us need to do that. I was trying to practice that this week when I'd be like scrolling Twitter too much to learn about what's happening and who's doing what and what's going on. And, you know, your soul just gets all in it, you know, and you're feeling all sorts of ways. And then I'm like, what am I doing, you know? I'm like, okay, who cares? Just for that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like, let's, let me go to you. And I'm just telling you, you guys, you know, especially those of you who follow Jesus would know, I felt a lot different reading my Bible than scrolling Twitter. <laughs> there was a significant difference in my soul. There was a significant difference in my peace. There was a significant difference in everything. And we do that all the time, though. I'm so guilty of that. And I just want us to be still before the Lord. Let's recognize our position before him. So how do we start trusting God more? Well, here's something for you to write down. Cry out to an idol, I love this from the chapter, and get silence, but if you're silent before God, you get guidance. Look at that. Cry out to, it's like, come on, woe to him who says to the winning, wake up! And this thing does nothing, I get silence, but when I'm silent before, the, before God, then that's when I get guidance. And so many of us in our clamor and in our shouting and in our yelling, we're crying out, just like Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They're like, come on, man, Baal, come down, come down, burn the, burn the altar. And they get nothing, and then Elijah just, may the real Lord be revealed, and shoo, fire comes down. You cry out to an idol, you get silence. Be silent before God and get guidance. 
we spend way too much time crying out to idols and then being frustrated with silence, a lack of wisdom, a lack of peace. And we spend very little time silent before God and then wonder why we have no guidance. So let's take some time this week to flip that. Stop crying out to your idols and start being silent before the Lord and let him lead and guide you. So how do we start trusting God more? Two quick things. Number one, start substituting. Simply replace your idols with God. Make intentional decisions to recognize and substitute. Once again, this is going to require some real thought and action in your life to say, what is it that I am trusting more than God? How can I replace that with the Lord? Here's a couple of verses for you to reflect on in your own time. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 146, 3 through 6. Put not your trust in princes or presidents. Put your trust not, not your trust in princes or presidents. Put your trust not in the Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in him, who keeps faith forever. What is he saying? Put not your trust in princes or presidents. Why? Because on the very day they die, their plans perish. Put your hope in God. Why? Because his plans continue forever. So where am I going to put my trust? Where am I going to put my trust? I can be involved in something without putting my trust in it. We have to understand the difference. To say, let me be actively involved in the privilege I have here, but let me not put my trust there. That would be foolish. We put my trust in God. Number two, stop limiting. So start substituting, replacing idols with God. Stop limiting God. Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for, his, for us. Trust in him at all times. Not sometimes, not when things go your way, not when the, the future looks bright, not whenever, whatever it may be. Trust in him at all times, good and bad, no matter what the outcome of your situation. Trust in the Lord at all times. Stop limiting when God is able to work. Stop limiting what God is doing when you don't understand and start believing and trusting him at all times. This is part of the book of Habakkuk. It's say, I'm doing things that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. They're so complicated and magnificent, but I'm working it out. And if you're part of my child, you're part of my family as one of my children, I'm doing this for your good, Romans 8. And so now, in the midst of things I can't understand, when I don't understand, when I'm frustrated, disappointed, and I don't know how it's all going to work out, I trust in him at all times. I stop limiting God based off my circumstances. I stop limiting God based off my feelings. I stop limiting God as to when and where he is able to work. And I say anything is possible at any time because the Lord is strong to save. And so I trust in him at all times. All times. All times. There's something for you to write down as we close. You need to expect less of the world and more of God. This would be a great principle for your life. If you left with this one thought, I would be happy to leave thinking, I need to expect less of the world and expect more of God. And part of the struggle of our life is that we flip-flop those and we expect so much from the world and it can't deliver. And then we expect so little from God and we receive so little. And then we're stuck. And God wants us to flip that, to say, man, set your expectations low Expect less of the world. It cannot give what it looks like it can. It will never deliver on the things you hope it does. Expect less of the world, but then put more hope in God. Expect great things from God. Expect God to break through. Expect God to help and to save and to change. Expect God to do things that God can do. Expect less of the world. Expect less of those around you in terms of really giving you everything you need and begin to expect more from God. And God will use that trust 
to deliver. And when you put your trust in him, I love this scripture. The Bible says those who put their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. Why? Because you won't be disappointed. Why? Because he won't be overtaken. Why? Because he will make good on every promise he made to you. So if you put your trust in the Lord, you will not be put to shame. So start substituting, stop limiting, expect less of the world and more of God. Tear down the idols of your life, begin to trust in God. So let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to respond to us continually in this time. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We ask that you would do the real work in our hearts, God, to weed out the idolatry of our lives, the foolishness of trusting in idols, things, people, outcomes, situations, foolishness of trusting in ourselves. I pray that you would reveal that and that we would be a repentant, convicted people. And at the same time, God, show us your open arms and you say, come to me. And you are unlimited. And I just pray, God, that we would drink from the water, that we would drink from the fountain, God, from your grace and your truth and your mercy and your goodness and your presence. There's so much. Help us, Lord, to expect less of the world, but to expect a lot more from you. And teach us, Lord, continually as we read this book, what does it mean to walk by faith? Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's respond to the Lord now. So God's word, Psalm 44. 